What happens when the Spirit comes? That's a question that the forerunners of the Pentecostal movement asked on the very first day of the last century. Now, that particular time, God restored, to a certain extent, the understanding of spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues. Now, a century or more later, we need to ask ourselves afresh, what happens when the Spirit comes? And the answers to that question are many and rich and varied. This morning I spoke about what the Spirit does in you. Today I want to extend that this evening and say what the Holy Spirit does through you. And I'm passionate about this message because I believe there can be a breakthrough. Of course, we're talking about reaching the lost, but tonight I'll try very hard not to say, aha, you should witness more, aha, you should be doing this, aha, you should be doing that. That's, I've already said it, all right? Try not to say it again. But my goal tonight is to blow you, blow your mind and blow you away with what you already have. And what happens when a spirit-filled person, somebody who has the Holy Spirit, somebody who is yielded to the Holy Spirit, what happens, what Jesus has promised will happen and what shall happen and what does happen when you show up. When you stand in line at the local shop, when you are traveling on the bus or train or underground, when you are in the office in the morning, when you are at school, wherever you are, God has promised three things will be taking place. So let's get down to it. Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 16. We're going to read from the second part of verse 4 through to verse 11. And I encourage you to get this morning's service. It will be available online sometime tomorrow, or you can order it as you leave tonight and have your own copy. Jesus is speaking in the middle of these amazing chapters, the last speech, the last discourses that Jesus has with his disciples before his betrayal, his arrest and crucifixion, and then, of course, his resurrection. And so in many ways, in many, many ways, it would have been a night just like tonight when Jesus closes himself in with his closest disciples and when Judas leaves, the atmosphere changes and there is intimacy. And Jesus pours out his heart, speaking so much in those final words by way of instruction, saying, don't worry, you won't remember everything now, but the Holy Spirit will remind you. And in the middle of this, he's talking about what will happen when he returns to the Father. We will not be left on our own. The Holy Spirit will come and this morning, as I said, there are 19 things I counted in John chapter 15, 16, uh, 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit does in you. But here is a precious section of what the Holy Spirit will do through you. Okay, John 16, second part of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? 
But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes to you, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. If you can ever get to understand human motivation, you will be very successful in life. Psychologists, whether they're talking about seeking to understand human motivation for therapeutic purposes or for commercial purposes, how to understand people in order to be successful in commerce, educational purposes, how to understand people, the different learning styles. So much has to do with motivation. But when it comes to God, we will never know what motivates God unless he reveals it. And he has. Why did he send the Holy Spirit? What's the story here? What has the Holy Spirit come to do? Why is he on this planet? What's he doing? Well, this morning I talked about working in your life. Go back, get that message, and, and it's tremendous. It's wonderful. Unfortunately, that's where many believers stop. What's in it for me? What has God got for me? And we didn't even really get on to talk about such exciting things as spiritual gifts and that, and we will, because it's all part of it. But God's Spirit is given to us for a purpose beyond ourselves. I put it this way. The Holy Spirit is given to us for them. The reason he has been given to us, apart from to work in our hearts and prepare us, of course, for the presence of God, his purpose is beyond that. How does the Holy Spirit work through you to reach the world? Now, Jesus made it clear that the world cannot receive him John 14, verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The rest of these passages is an exposition, an expansion of that. First of all, the world cannot receive him. A person with the spirit is a believer in Jesus Christ because the Spirit always witnesses to Christ. And somebody who does not have Christ, by very definition, does not have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean to say that they 
aren't interested in spirituality. One of the things I've discovered about this current generation is that I can't really call them a highly spiritual generation because the Bible definition of spiritual is that which pertains to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, their spirituality often is looking at alternative spiritual sources. And we know that there is a spiritual world and that spiritual world is, of course, made up of the spirits that God has sent into the world, angelic beings and so on, and they're fascinated by that. But most often, they get caught up with the deceiving spirits and, and therefore they don't have the Holy Spirit. And we need to call them to the Holy Spirit. But they cannot receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. All that can happen is the Holy Spirit can, become, can begin to convince them through your testimony, and we shall see, even by your very presence, I don't want to become too mystical tonight, but even by your very presence, as the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are automatically being used by the Spirit to bring conviction. Now we have to back that up with witness, with testimony, with lifestyle, and with preaching the gospel, whom the Holy Spirit will confirm, but I want you to understand who you are as a Spirit-filled being. It says, it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. How did the disciples before the day of Pentecost know the Holy Spirit? Well, they'd been walking with Jesus, the anointed one, and the, the person in whom the focus of the Holy Spirit's work was operating. So they, in a sense, knew the Holy Spirit because they'd seen him in operation in the person of Jesus. Now, here is a hidden message which is later on expanded. What Jesus is saying, that's going to change. I am going to away, but the Spirit is coming in my place to represent me, and he's going to be upon your life, he's going to work in your life, so as I was in the world, in, 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 in a very real way, so you will be in the world. We are, put it this way, the only Christ that people will ever see till they really see him. And that tells us, as anointed believers, people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, we have a powerful influence. I remember a man, my uncle, who was a very distant relative, in fact, it was my father's sister's second husband after the first one died, and uh, he was, his name was Scott as well, that's why Scott, you've got a good place on the team, you're, you're, you're in it, you're in. And um, he was just a most amazing man. He was a brethren Christian, a man who was as close to being Pentecostal charismatic without being Pentecostal charismatic, so full of the Holy Spirit, was a wonderful man, and his influence on my life was amazing. Excuse me. I just have so much gratitude for the people who influenced me to bring me where I am today. But he told a story of how once he went into the office and people were in another room working, not working, another workroom, and they were doing the Ouija board. Don't worry about that. If you don't know it, you haven't missed much. <laughs> but it is, has the potential of operating through evil spirits. And he came into the office, wondered where everybody was, and one by one they came out of the room. He said, it's funny, it's funny, it's not working now. What's not working? And they told him the story, and of course he was 
upset with them because he didn't want them to be doing that. It was his office, after all, he was the manager. But the funny thing was, his very presence in the office closed it down, shut it down. Do you know the spiritual influence you have simply because, and indeed only because, the Holy Spirit is with you, the Holy Spirit is in you, and He's filling your life. So it says, of course, the world cannot receive Him, so do they lose out? Is there no hope for them? No, we are that hope. Because we have received the Holy Spirit, and He can, and will, and does influence the world through us. Just think for a moment of what has been entrusted to you. If only you knew the influence you have as a result of the Holy Spirit, you would go to work with your head held up, not arrogantly, but just a little bit more confidently. Not self-confidence, but confidence in the Holy Spirit. If only you knew, whenever you identify yourself as a believer in Christ, what is released by that confession of faith, you would confess him openly more. You would not be afraid of the chilling effect of so-called laws in our nation that is trying to shut us up. We will not shut up. And anyway, at the moment, the law is more on our side than we think. But it's not about the law. I go to places where it is illegal to go. I go to places and because they've met with me, they are harassed and imprisoned, but they get released because God is powerful. So we need to have a boldness that does not come from circumstances, but a boldness that changes circumstances and changes spiritual atmosphere. God has promised in the last days that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That's why Peter, the inspired Peter, on the day of Pentecost, quotes Joel chapter 2 and says, These people are not drunk like you think. So he had a sense of humor. He said, It's only 9 o'clock, the pubs aren't open. They're not drunk. This is that of which the prophet Joel spoke when he said, In the last days, Joel says, Afterward, God will... Peter has the inspiration of the Spirit and says, this is the afterward, this is the last days, and if the last days are 2,000 years or more old, can you imagine how last of the last days we're living in? I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and I believe it is happening, but we've not yet seen the fullness of that promise, and I believe, as others do, and I refer you to R.T. Kendall's teaching last year on the Midnight Cry, get that series, it's still available online, get it and be part of it, because there is yet to come, before the return of Jesus Christ, a move of the Spirit. It may not last long, I don't know how long it will be, I don't know when it will come, but it will follow the midnight cry, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, and you and I will be part of it, if right now we are those people who are keeping our lives pure and seeking God for His reward in our experience. Now, when God moves, let me suggest to you and that there are lots of ways of looking at this, but for now, and for this current season, I will use the language in the way I'm about to describe it. We are not in revival, but I believe it's coming. But we are in renewal and refreshing. So I, I want to use the word for renewal and refreshing, times of refreshing upon our lives, that the church is 
revived, so it's a good word to use in terms of reviving, but we are refreshed, we are renewed, we are revived, so that revival can happen and will happen, and I want to reserve the word revival in this current context, you can use it in lots of different ways, for the outpouring of the Spirit, not just on the church, but on the world. What do I mean by that? Go and study the Hebridean revival. Look it up online. A man called Duncan Campbell was called to one of the islands on the Hebrides, and he had a series of meetings and wanted to go home. They said, don't go home, something is happening. But there was a breakthrough. When people were praying in the church in earnest, God heard that cry, and something happened. Not just within the church building, in fact, if you read the story, not even very much apparently happened in the church building, but something happened on the community. God came. People left their homes, went out the street. What's happening? Something's happened. They gathered in the church. They, they went to the police station. What's happening? What's happening? And as a result of that, people who would be hard as nails before they arrived stepped on the island and would be falling on their knees, repenting as soon as they got off the boat. What is that? Revival. God pouring his spirit out on the community. This is for them. No, the world cannot receive the spirit, but he is working in the world. How? Through you. I've got to say that the Holy Spirit also is working without you and me. Do you get me? In other words, God is working everywhere, even where we don't know, where we aren't involved. Um, we may be able to trace back, well, God is working in the Arab world now because of the prayers of God's people. But the Holy Spirit is a sovereign spirit, and he can and does work directly without any human instrumentation. Remember that. So I'm not, I'm not denouncing that, that's true. But he is always working to draw people to Christ and to witness to the truth in people's hearts. If you look back on the, your story of coming to Christ, as I can look back on mine, there were many significant moments in which the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But until I was awakened spiritually, I didn't really know what was happening. And it's taken many years to look back and say, gosh, I forgot that God was working. He is working. That's why it's important for us to pray. God is working in your family right now. God is working in your neighbors right now. God is working in your work colleagues right now. And one of the important things is to develop a sensitivity to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. And you can often discern that by asking them what they think about spiritual issues and, and, and what is God doing in their life. But he is working. He's always active. But then also, and my main message tonight, is about him working to confirm your witness, your testimony, and the preaching of the gospel. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses when the Spirit comes on you. Peter's preaching in Acts 2, as I've already referred to that, they were 
cut to the heart. That was Holy Spirit conviction. It was not Peter's gift of the gab. It wasn't Peter's eloquence. In fact, the word that is describing what Peter did, how he spoke, is a word that has a strong implication of divine, supernatural utterance. We pray for it as preachers every time. Sometimes we get it a bit, sometimes we don't. But it's when the Spirit opens your mouth. And when you proclaim something is happening beyond your wisdom, beyond your theological knowledge, though that's important, beyond your preparation, though that's important, something happens. And God releases spiritual words, spiritual truths, which carry such authority that they penetrate people's hearts. That's what we want. Okay, let's get to it. What happens when you show up? Filled with the Spirit, of course. What happens? Three things. Each of these is to do with conviction. And the word conviction here means when you speak, they know it's the truth. They may argue against it. They may resist it. And it is possible for people to know that Jesus is the truth and still reject him. But when God draws people to himself, they will come to him. They will come to him. So be confident. Because the gospel is preached as a witness, not just to say, there, we told you so, but also an effective witness in people's lives. It is the way of changing our nation. Social work, wonderful. We have social workers. When we go in different places, we, dig, we do things like digging wells. We feed the hungry. Very important. These are good works. These are works of mercy. But the only thing that can bring a soul to Christ is the preaching of the gospel as confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Don't stop preaching the gospel. Don't stop. And uh, now, there comes a caveat with this. They know that you are right, and they know that you, they are wrong. And that's behind much of the argumentation. Who do you think you are that you think, that you think you're right? You haven't even said you're right. You just said, I believe in Jesus. And that's enough. The Holy Spirit's released. It's game over then. And... Uh, and, and, and have, have compassion there, but, but know that that is a spiritual confrontation right away. Let's go through this fairly quickly. I think we can do it fairly quickly and efficiently tonight. A little while ago, I received a message from one of the people that is rather loosely called my Avant Eglise group, which means the people that I'm sharing the gospel with, and uh, they haven't yet come to Christ and it began in France, and it spread in different parts of the world. We're looking at something um, to work in Brazil, Uma Igreja Alternativa, and see how, how it works. But these are people who have become very, very genuine friends. And I listen to them. I learn from them about what they're thinking. And you know, we have such a chasm to cross. If only we knew it. 
because education system, media, government, and all the rest have done an amazing job at totally making us look like idiots because we believe in Jesus. But in this time, there comes a time, you know, when you really have to say, this is it, brother, you need to be saved, repent. That, that comes a time, and, and that, that happens and will happen. But in the early stages, it's maybe nothing more. What's different about you? Well, I love God. I'm, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. Never did I say, and you got to believe him too, otherwise, you know, it's game over for you. Just in love. And I couldn't understand why there was so much reaction. And the response was, why do you think I have to believe in Jesus? I never said that. I said, I believe in Jesus. That's very permissible these days. You know, they could have thought I was saying, I have my truth, you have your truth, let's be happy together. I wasn't saying that, but why were they threatened? Whenever you confess Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit starts to work to convince them of sin because they don't know Jesus. And this is the first powerful thing. Without you even realizing it, simply by owning Christ publicly and saying, I believe in Jesus, not, not, not just I believe in God. Everybody can say they believe in God. United States of America, which in many ways is still quite a religious nation, the president will always end every speech, God bless you and God bless the United States of America. You will never, and it's for good reason, I'll explain, I'm not criticizing, you'll never hear them say, may Jesus bless you. Because presidents have to represent everybody, say God, that means something different to everybody and everybody's happy and all the votes keep coming in. Have you noticed, you could talk about God, maybe an atheist will start turning into a teenage werewolf and you mention God, but most people uh, will, you know, okay, I, I believe in God too, or I don't, or I've got this, I've got that. But the moment you say, Jesus, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, watch them manifest. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit immediately is released. Now, when this happens, do realize this, what we, what we want to happen, and what does happen, and can happen, is that they say, wow, that's amazing. How do I come to know Jesus? That can happen. And it does happen. Usually it's part of a process. But usually they're very angry to begin with. Why do you say I have to believe in Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit is convincing them of their sin. Interesting that Jesus summarizes all sins under this one heading. They do not believe in me. Doesn't mean to say God has changed the definition of sin or just given us that, that only one to work with, but at the end of the day, every other sin is moving in the same direction so that you keep Christ 
out of your life. The devil doesn't mind it if you live a moral life or an immoral life. He doesn't mind that. But the one thing he wants to keep away from you is faith in Christ. But the Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than the spirits in the world. So when you start to proclaim or identify or they know you are a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, that power is released to convict them. They need to believe in him too. Now, we're open here, we're talking here. There may be somebody who does not yet know Christ, who does not yet know Jesus. I will say openly what the Spirit is saying to your heart. You need to believe in him too because he is the only way to salvation. Okay, next thing. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction of righteousness because Jesus says, I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now there is a wealth of teaching here. Let me tell you what this means, basically. It means that the rule and reign of righteousness the heavenly rule of Christ in righteousness began the day he sat upon the throne in heaven. He rules in righteousness. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. Also, what it means is that because he, was, he died, was buried, rose again from the dead, he was raised for our justification, and there at the right hand of the Father, he administers Salvation as our high priest to all who believe. That means in the name of Jesus, God's righteousness is available. Notice I did not say your righteousness. For Satan exists apart. It doesn't exist. None of us is righteous, but we are saved not by our righteousness or attempts at it. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ. And that's what we want the, the people who don't yet know Jesus to know that what they, what they don't yet know, what we want them to know, is the moment they put their faith and trust in Christ, the gift of righteousness is available, and that must come as a conviction. Do you have that conviction? Allow that conviction to take root in your life. We may call this assurance that you know you are saved, not by your own good works, but by the righteousness of Christ, and that righteousness can never fade, can never be sullied. Can you imagine Jesus saying, wait a bit, Father, I got it wrong. I'm coming back to the earth. I'm going to live a life of sin. Is that what he's going to do? No way. He is ruling and reigning in righteousness. The test is over. Righteousness has been won. And he is never, ever, ever going to renege on that. And you are saved 100% by the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't make any difference to Christ's righteousness what you do. All, only believe and you receive it. Now, there's another dimension to this. One of the biggest things, and I'm sure you will know this, one of the biggest reasons why people do not want to become genuine Christians when they look at it from the outside, they may say, I wish I could be like you. You, have, you seem so blessed. You seem so happy. I've seen the change in your life. But, and the big but is, they cannot swallow Bible morality. 
if we were prepared to say, come to Christ, live for God as you please, change this area of your life if you want to, but you don't have to, I think we could fill every church in Britain by lowering the moral standard of the New Testament. Listen carefully, I'm not preaching morality, and morality is the answer, but I'm talking about righteousness. And so when you say, Christ is my saviour, I believe in him, not only are they convicted of sin, but they're convicted of righteousness. They know that there is such a thing as right, such a thing as wrong, and that dreaded word that they will never like to hear easily, sin is real. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And notice that one of the main reasons why people say, we're not interested in what you have to say, you are religious bigots, and what they mean by that is we are prepared to call them out on their sins. Not because we're better than them, but we have to let them know that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, and you leave not just your ego, but your sin at the door. We spoke this morning about how the Holy Spirit continues to work within us, to shape us, to be more like Jesus. And uh, uh, when when people see that, they know it is not of this world. They know this has to be God. And their choice is to say, God's in you, I give up, take me prisoner, Jesus, I come to you. Or they have to fight against it. The Apostle Paul fought against it. Do you notice that? fought and fought and fought till Christ confronted him and said, why are you fighting me? And he broke down. In that drastic way, he was converted. And um, my father was, a, amongst other things, he fixed up cars and they were put into the showroom and the salesman. I was going to say my father was a second-hand salesman, but a uh, second-hand car salesman, but it, that, is, that is bad. But if R.T. Kendall was a vacuum cleaner seller, maybe it's not so bad after all. <laughs> and he used to say, look at that man, he's about to buy the car. I said, how do you know? Look, look, he's about to buy the car. And the man was going around kicking the tires. That was his last resistance to the sales pitch, to show some kind of defiance. But the moment They started to protest in those non-verbal ways. My father was really writing out the receipt. (laughs) Sometimes the people who are most hostile and have the most objectives are clutching at straws to find some last-ditch effort to reject Christ. But his love is more powerful and the Holy Spirit breaks those walls down. By the way, I said I'd refer to the song, this is the Moses song, um, uh, Restoring Righteousness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. And it's not talking about the righteousness of the law, it's talking about walking in the paths of righteousness as the Holy Spirit leads you and living and rejoicing in the righteousness of God. Finally, the conviction of judgment. This is too is interesting. When you stand up and say, I believe in Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, and share your testimony, and start to speak gospel words, they're convicted not only of their sin because they don't yet believe in Jesus, or of, their, of righteousness because they are unrighteous, and the Father, uh, Jesus in the presence of the Father is making that available, 
but also they know supernaturally by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that it's game over. Jesus has already won. In other words, if you are confidently believing in the resurrected Christ, you are telling the world that Jesus is victorious. And the prince of this world is already judged. He's defeated. He's overthrown. And the victory is complete. Devil, too late. You've already lost. Yep. Yep. Satan was judged at the cross. He was driven out, cast out, destroyed, rendered inoperative. So you say, well, it seems pretty active. Yeah, but the manifestation of that victory is yet to happen when Christ comes again. All right? That's when the victory on the cross will be fully manifested. And why is there an apparent delay? The times are in the Father's hands. But one hint of that is his enormous patience and long-suffering. Because when he returns to manifest that victory, everybody who is on the wrong side of that will be lost forever. Now that's not harsh. If you resist ultimate reality, don't be surprised when you have to live with the consequences. It's sounding harsh. I don't mean it to sound harsh. This is victorious, but it is a reality. When all your deceptions are over, when every stone, rock, or puddle you try to hide behind, under, or in is removed, when there is nothing but the total, open, manifestation of God's presence and glory, oh, sinner man, where are you going to run to? Nowhere. And because the judgment, in a sense, has already taken place, we know that when Jesus will judge the earth, that is in the future, but spiritually speaking, it has already taken place. The manifestation is coming, and they know two things by the Holy Spirit, who will convict them. They know, number one, we win. Didn't even have to turn to the back of the book. The middle of the book will do. God never loses. Darkness can never prevail against the light. And if they persist in walking in darkness, what are they going to do when the light comes? They know that we win. Secondly, they know that they are at that moment on the wrong side. They've got to cross over from darkness to light. And at the end of the day, that will have to be by yielding to Christ. Amen? So right now, many of them will argue and produce a lot of evidence in their favor that they have the upper hand. And even to us, if we're not careful, it may appear so. They seem to have all the plays to make. They seem to have all the influence. God in his patience is allowing that for a period of time. But the truth 
is otherwise. Satan is already defeated. So why do we fear? Boldness is not the same as arrogance. The women who were arrested, having met with me in this country, and this country isn't like the most closed country in the world, I must say. They said to the police, we have been worshipping our God and encouraging one another in our faith as Christian believers. Boldness came on them. Wisdom at all times. Wisdom at all times. Boldness is not arrogance. But I want the spirit of timidity out of our lives. And really, when you are so full of the Holy Spirit, musicians, I'm ready for you, singers, please. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you can do no nothing else. As the early apostle said, we can't help but speaking of the things that we have seen and heard. So my, have I achieved my goal tonight? I want to encourage you. That was my goal. So that you understand, maybe as never before, who you are when you step out into the arena. You don't go naked, but clothed with power. The Holy Spirit can, will, and does use you.